The Multiverse Podcast presents The Crushing Fist, Part 4 Written by Matt Demersky Produced by Eunice Randall And narrated by Raphael Marmel Heart thumping, every breath palpable, and my senses sharpened by adrenaline. Time seemed to slow as I walked with my former comrade in arms. He and I were both, now, soldiers once more. Even if it would only be for a brief time. That was what being a soldier was really about. Years of training, both physical and mental, for a few scant moments of violence that usually occurred with little or no warning. You had to internalize the readiness for violence. You had to make it a part of you. If you didn't, you'd hesitate when the moment thrust itself upon you, and you'd die. Empty cells drifted on by either side, and the floor vibrated with the weak echoes of an earthquake that must have been on the first world proper. The facility had been built thousands of feet up, in the wall of this shard reality itself, so there was no opportunity for normal earthquakes here, only those that translated weakly through the golden inner shield. I raised my radio as we walked. We planned on keeping radio silence, but, judging by the apathy and absence we'd seen, there was no threat. Noah, how's it coming along over there? I imagined that he'd made the same assessment about using the radios. He responded after a moment. We found the brown shirts. No sign of the woman. You? I didn't know who she was, or why we'd been sent to save her, but I sensed that finding Thomas's people was a huge victory in itself. I also didn't want any interruptions for what Vasiliev and I were about to do. It was a secret objective from the young man in command, but it was also something we were obligated to do as soldiers, as men, and as whatever parts of the human condition we played as husbands, fathers, or brothers. I assumed that our ace in the hole can reach us with their help in the compass chip. Another moment passed. Yes! It seems so. Now that they're out of their cells and can work together, they've opened an active portal with help from the other side. All right, then, I told him. Get everyone out of here. We'll come to your wing when we're done. His radio came on, but he said nothing for a beat. It was then that I knew, instinctively, that he had sensed the grim resignation to violence in my voice. I'll wait as long as I can, he finally said, implying concern and good luck. I turned my radio off and stashed it back on my belt. Vasiliev led the way down another turn. The hallway before us stood unused, more bars framing empty cells. I kept my eyes forward as we walked, but there were certain things that needed to be said in the moments before a potential battle. If it turned out that the Brigadier General was the guilty man we thought he was, he would not go without a fight. That much I knew of his reputation. You don't have any kids, do you, Blacko? He shook his head. Nah. His stray hand stroked his beard. Well, maybe. I kind of joined up to run from a pregnancy scare. Her father literally had a shotgun. I was going to force me to marry her. My pre-battle tension abated somewhat in the face of that strange revelation. Really? He grinned. Nope. Ah, damn. It was good, at least, to see that some small part of his former spirit remained. That small resurgence faded as reality returned to his worried features. Nah, though. No kids. And I'm glad. Given the world they'd be enduring right now? You? For a moment... I felt that I could see through the walls ahead and see straight into the foggy gloom of all existence. If I died here today, my life would hang like a frayed line through all the paths that had been walked and avoided by all the people that had ever lived. I would always exist, just like other people in my life would always exist, even if they weren't around anymore. No, not for a long time. Ah, well, whatever we do here today... It's for everyone else's kids, then. Still a good cause. He led the way around the last corner, and his demeanor changed from apologetic to grim. 
An absolute mountain of a man sat in the last cell, his gaze already on us. A sharp brown beard complemented a heavy brow and dark eyes that immediately put me on guard. Out of respect, they'd allowed him to keep his uniform, rather than giving him an orange jumpsuit like my companion. I never met him in person, but I knew. This was the man they called the Double-Edged Sword. This was the man that had tortured and shot his own men to drive them into hell itself for reasons unknown. Shoulder to shoulder, Vasiliev and I stepped down the gray stone and metal hallway in full military posture. It was automatic in us, still, despite the passage of so many years. The brigadier general slowly stood, his thick legs creaking as his muscles adjusted. He approached the bars, stopping as we did. His dark gaze never wavered from my face and his deep voice mirrored his implicit authority. How are you here? I slid out the book. Never mind that. It's time to find out the truth. He looked down at what I was doing, and, to my surprise, he looked surprised. Don't open that! But of course, I wasn't going to stop on his say-so. I flipped open the pages, and found myself looking at a confusing jumble of random words. The text on the page blinked, flickered strangely, and then disappeared. In its place, on the center of the page, sat only two words. Critical failure. Confused, I looked up. The brigadier general clung to the bars, his head forward, his face low, as if he was in pain. His deep voice dropped an octave, becoming almost drum-like and guttural. You can't go to the places I've gone without coming back changed. He took a deep breath, and his fingers curled tight around the bars. I have seen the end, and the beginning. I have seen the truth of the universe. And it is enough to drive a rational mind mad. In the true span of existence, humankind is nothing at all. The walls we put up in a futile attempt to keep out the inevitable. Denial, violence, greed, will be our own unmaking. Did you go into the sphere? Vasiliev asked his eyes going wide. I flipped a page in the book, but the same strange flickering happened. Critical failure. Discharge hazard. The sphere? The huge man asked, slowly raising his head to look us in the eyes. From the deserts of Earth-44, five years ago? He laughed mockingly. You're so far behind, you don't even know which questions to ask. Then tell us, Vasiliev roared, furious. Explain yourself. Justify what you did. I flipped to the next page, and my fingers seized as spectral blue energies arced and zapped from the book, forcing me to drop it. Residual pain echoed through my arms as I watched it fall to the floor where it lay open, text flickering and pages still arcing blue. The sword stood tall, seeming to grow an inch with righteous zeal. There is nothing I would apologize for. What must be done, must be done. But you hurt people. You killed people. A man is nothing but a pile of flesh, he growled, curling his knuckles to white around the bars. Would you weep for an ant, sacrifice for the survival of the hive? But enough talk. I'm going to end this foolish dream once and for all. I'm going to bring down the shield. It is the only course of action left. As I fought to recover from the book's energetic shock, Vasiliev stepped closer to the bars. No, sir. I aimed to stop you five years ago, but I failed. This time, I won't. The huge bearded man adjusted his uniform slightly, and then cracked his neck. 
We each choose our own path to hell. I think it occurred to both Blaku and I at the same time. When the sword had said he'd come back changed, he might have meant that literally. We watched as he braced himself, pulled mightily, and tore a bar right from his cell gate. We both reacted on pure trained instinct, diving to either side as the huge man's fury-fueled kick tore his gate right from its hinges and bolts. Vasily had pushed away from the gate he'd fallen against, just in time to avoid the impact of a heavily swung bar, which clanged loudly and bent at the end from the sheer force. I held my breath momentarily to avoid coughing from the cloud of concrete dust the breakout had released, and my hands automatically reached for a loose bar on the floor. I brought it up just as Vast fell roughly back to avoid a shoulder-height swing. I thought I'd gotten the drop, but the sword rotated with lightning speed and brought his bent weapon up to block. Even during my split-second recovery, he reset his stance and sliced his bent bar at me at waist height. I got lucky by reacting without being able to see the attack or think about it. I just knew that I had to do something, and that something involved using both hands to shove my own rod to my left. His attack hit metal. I felt my bar bend, and a tremendous force went up my tensed arms, flinging me painfully onto a bed of fiery ribbons as my back hit the floor with no resistance. My thoughts were all gone, but soldiers' reflexes remained. My eyes had fallen upon Vass, and his upon me, and I threw him my bent bar without hesitation. In sync, he deftly caught it, and nearly managed to catch the hulking brute from behind while his attention was on me. As bars clanged again, I scrambled at my feet, ignoring the desperate pain in my shoulders. They had been shocked by the book, and then burned by what felt like a truck impact, and then they were protesting forcefully. I couldn't afford to listen. Not then. Taking precious seconds to dislodge another bar from the shattered gate, I managed to hit the Brigadier General in the lower back, just before his strike blew concrete trunks from the wall near Vasiliev's head. He roared in pain and Vass answered with a shout of his own, and a bent metal rod to the face. The sword dropped his weapon and stumbled back down the hall a step or two, briefly disoriented. Vass and I moved forward together, eyes afire. I hit the bearded man along the side of the face, splitting his ear. My companion gave his leg a brutal strike. The combined pains brought forth a bellow of rage, and he pushed up, absorbing two more hits as he crashed between us, and then down the hall. We stood there for just a moment, watching him, and absorbing the fact that we'd somehow managed to survive the surprise onslaught. On cue, we both rushed after him, another earthquake trembling the floor as we ran. Using the few spare moments to strategize, I raised my radio. Noah, the sword is loose, and he's dangerous as hell. Is that what that is, he asked, concerned. What the hell do you want me to do? Get out of here and close it up. We can't risk him escaping. Vass glanced over at me as we ran. You've got a way out? Not anymore, I responded between panting breaths. Sorry. The radio crackled the life once more. He didn't ask if I was sure. He hadn't hesitated. You're the last ones left there. It's closing now. You'll have to find another... Jesus! We rounded a corner to find the hulking Brigadier General halfway down a hallway of open cells, his arms shoulder-deep in a roiling spatial disturbance. Noah's voice returned. He's trying to get through. Is that even possible? There was no time to waste. We both knew what we had to do. Shaking rather violently with the force of the portal trying to reject his entry, the sword set his jaw with rage, brought up his other hand, and started pulling the spectral blue edges, trying to force them apart. Part of me noted that we had no clue what we were dealing with, no idea what we walked into with our foolish wish for vengeance, even as our bent bars impacted his head and back. 
He'd actually managed to begin pulling the portal back open, but our assault forced him to let go and jump back with all his strength. Falling against a cold gray stone, he took a breath, anticipated our swings, and leapt down into the side. Breathing raggedly and holding a hand to stem the tide of blood streaming from his head, he ran again. Stealing myself against pain and adrenaline exhaustion, I followed Blaku as he dashed after his former commander. The three of us rounded the front hallway just as a confused guard sighted us. He'd been sleeping in the front area. Our fight had surely woken him. Instead of fumbling for his gun as I'd expected, he reached for something on the wall just out of sight. It must have been a button, because a heavy door slammed down in front of the Brigadier General, bringing him up short. The door held a large rectangular glass window laced with cross wires, and he began beating upon it, even cracking it in short order but the guard on the other side hit a few more buttons with terrified eyes. The room suddenly turned violet and white, and pulled away into infinite distance, disconnecting from our shard of reality completely. We'd just been cut off. The sword turned slowly, his dark eyes practically black with hate. He began to speak. But the floor rocked with a very different kind of vibration. Explosions. They'd been dumping convicts, the unwanted, and creatures of every sort in Tesquay for centuries. Of course they'd have a last-ditch failsafe. We three realized simultaneously what had happened, as monstrous shaking hinted at the fracturing of the supports that held the facility in the dimensional wall. The floor bounced, screamed louder than any structure had to write to, and then tilted at a severe angle. We froze, all of us, as the screeching came to a slow grinding halt, when the hallway's dangerous tilt reached near thirty degrees. For a long moment, nobody dared move. It made sense that the failsafe bombs had been poorly maintained, given the state of the rest of the military. A couple years without checks? Some of them might have gone bad. Even the Brigadier General clutched the wall, too tense to move as we each silently ran the possibilities. Another distant and massive crack, and a two-degree further drop, ended our momentary truce. This time, we ran not at the sword, but away from him. The Heligid area had been on the same way to the cells, and Vasiliev must have seen it while being brought in. He and I had had the same thought, for as large as he was, the Brigadier General was terrifyingly fast, and it was all we could do to outpace him at oddly slanted corners and doors, even throwing our bars to slow him down. We burst into the Heligid bay and slammed the door shut behind us. Most of the machines had slid right out along the steep angle. The last one was teetering on the edge of the broken hangar doors even as we scanned the wide bay. Go, I shouted, and Blaku ran for it while I held the door shut. I only managed a few seconds delay. The huge man beyond ripped the door from my hands, and then pushed his way inside as I backed up. Standing higher up on the slope than me, he looked bigger than before. Or was he really bigger? And it just wasn't my imagination. His eyes had gone fully black. There's something in you, I panted, raising my fist despite burning shoulders. I know, he breathed his voice deeper than any I'd ever heard from a man. I backed carefully down the sloped steel-plated floor, trying to buy time for Vasiliev to get the helijet going. What did you do? Did you make a deal with the devil? In a matter of speaking, he responded, his anger and subtle mockery from earlier gone. In its place remained only a kind of despairing resignation. But, as such deals go, she pulled one over on me. He lifted his meaty fists his black eyes cold. There's nowhere to go, you know. Tescoy is a concentrated pit of the worst evils, threats, and scum this civilization has accumulated over the last thousand years. 
Even if you somehow beat me, you might get down there, and you'd wish you'd just let me kill you. Shaking sweat out of my eyes, I grinned. Despite it all, I'd missed the action, or rather, its importance. I'd done nothing but run since the moment my life had fallen apart. I'd run from the military, run from Christina, and run from life. The military had faded to a shadow. Christina had died bleeding and alone in the sand. And I'd hit on the fringes of the first world. Five years, and I hadn't done a single important thing in all that time. I'd been too busy putting up with rich brats and telling myself it was necessary for survival. Was that some part of what the sword had been saying? Greed? Violence? Denial? What was the point of staying alive if it meant a life shrouded in all the wrong principles? Right. This mattered. My grin widened. So you think I can beat you, I asked, picking up his taunt. His expression remained flat. No. Oh. His charge came at a blinding speed, but I felt at one with myself for the first time in half a decade. I'd been a soldier most of my life. I had the skills. I had the reflexes. I could move faster than I thought. React faster than fists. One hit from that beast would surely kill me. But his own strength would be my best weapon. Rapid drift under a swing at my face. Quick jab to the stomach. Dive forward and to the left under his arms. Turn around. Left hook to his cheek as he turns to face me. Rotate away from his fist coming from below. Pull his arm and push forward. He stumbled and fell to his hands, driven along with his own force and I brought an elbow down on the back of his neck, ending the sequence I'd instinctively known would happen before he even made a move. He shot up out of anger, and I kicked him straight in the face, anticipating his placement in Vector. He rolled away, his nose leaking blood. He gave an intense, inhuman roar as he clambered to his feet, and I thought I saw veins around the edges of his temples go black. Of course, he hadn't noticed the emergency firearm next to the heligit door. I'd seen it while holding the door shut, it was locked by fingerprint access, but I was a special agent now, according to the computers. Hoping they'd had time to update or sync or whatever, I pressed my thumb against it and desperately watched the sword recovering and running for me, and I fired first at his thigh, then at his chest, and then grazed his head as he fell. Now to just... oops. That sound. That shaking... Must have been the rest of the explosions finally going off. Thanks to my training, I'd also noted emergency parachutes on the wall. The ones they gave the unfortunate convicts before shoving them out this very bay. And I grabbed one during my blazing run down the plate metal hangar floor. If Vasiliev had managed to start the helijet before it had fallen out of the hangar, he'd find his own way down. I didn't see the craft anywhere nearby. And I didn't want him trying to get near. Not with what was about to happen up here. Forty degrees. Forty-five. Fifty. And then I was half-falling, half-leaping out into the ash clouds and heat. I'd done paratrooper training more than once, but this was immediately insane. All I had was an estimate of two thousand feet. I knew that jumpers usually pulled their parachutes at twice that height, and lightning crackled all around as I drifted through the volcanic ash. Was it? I calmed down and lost my train of thought as my lower back and thighs went sharply numb. Somewhere behind me, the facility had continued exploding and shearing off, and a tremendous amount of shrapnel and debris had surely been thrown free. I sensed that this might be the last fight in my life, and now I understood. I pulled the cord on the parachute with no willpower of my own, simply because I'd been moving to do it anyway. 
Drifting for a time, I tried to tie my fatigues tighter to stop the blood loss, but I just couldn't concentrate. Until I rather brutally crashed into hard black soil, lit only by nearing glowing lava flows. I couldn't feel my leg, but I could feel it snap, and I clutched at the ground from being swept away. My parachute was still caught by volcanic winds, and it was dragging me towards some sort of smoking mudflat. It wasn't molten, but even as I watched, my parachute made contact and began melting. Acid? If it could eat through a parachute so quickly, was it dangerous to organic flesh? I couldn't risk it. Fighting to hold on to the rock and soil scraping underneath my fingertips, I tried to resist the pull and only managed to unhook my connection to the parachute at the last moment. I lay back, relieved as the rope slid off into the acid mud proper and began smoking, until something flicked up and grabbed my arm. An inch-thick tentacle had extended from a pit about ten feet away, perhaps finding me by my vibrations. Suddenly, it wrapped tight, and a horrifying strength pulled me forward. In moments, I felt the soil give way, and I began sliding down into the moist pit. I saw the firearm I'd found high above slide out of my clothing and down, but I was too slow to catch it before it dipped into some unseen maw. I had no weapons, and I couldn't brace against my broken leg. Instead, furious as hell, I clenched my arm and pulled close, giving that godforsaken tentacle a straight bite. Whatever was in that pit screeched, and the screech became a roar as I bit down again. Green ichor splattered across my face, stinking worse than the sulfur in the air. It let go. I pulled myself up and out of that disgusting pit with what strength I had left, repeatedly telling myself that I wasn't going to die here. Not like this. Not in this pit. I crawled away intent on getting out of its range. I didn't want that thing feasting on my body. Before long, I was forced to stop short and keep my head low. Eerie, pale, and translucent forms floated past a dozen feet ahead. They were huge, spindly, and instantly recognizable. As trees. I heard someone mention tree ghosts as a possible threat. I just hadn't imagined that they meant the actual ghosts of trees. What? What? How did that even... And were they... What? Before I had time to process more on that topic, the first massive impact shook the earth nearby as giant chunks of the facility reached the surface. Flames, too, sailed across the skies above, landing with napalm aplomb. There was nothing I could do but hug the ground and pray that Mother Earth might see fit to protect my frail life. As the sword had put it, my broken pile of flesh. Now hurt, bleeding, and burning on primordial ground. And there was nowhere to go. In any case, the connection back had been severed. I was in Tescoy to stay. Forever. Unless the chip Ethan had given me couldn't be the same as the one Noah had used to signal Thomas, could it? They'd gotten it from Alec, who had come from outside the shield. And he'd gotten it from... Where? I couldn't think. I... Just... Just couldn't focus. It had mattered. I'd done something that mattered. I'd stayed, and I'd endured the destruction of a monster beyond moral judgment. I hadn't run away like last time. Tears were streaming down my face, but for what reason I couldn't call to mind. I began crawling forward again, trying to reach something ahead. Someone ahead. I'm sorry, Laura. 
I whispered forward, sobbing for no reason I could grasp, wishing that there was anything I could have done differently all those years. Would it have done right by her memory to stay? Should I have stayed? If I had stayed, Christina, her mother, might have still been alive, or would I have just died in the ink like all those other soldiers? To hell with it. I should have stayed. I knew that now. There was some great emotional sentiment that I wanted to make with my last raining heartbeats, if she could hear me. But the words wouldn't come. Instead, I just balled up a fist and struck the black soil in frustration. I heard an answering thump as a separate stimulus from the crashing, thudding, and exploding all around. I knew immediately what it was. Another parachuted man reaching the ground. Looking over, I saw, by the lava light, the brigadier general unclipping his parachute and standing. I would have laughed if one of my lungs hadn't been collapsed. All I could do was croak. You've got to be fucking kidding me. The air currents had taken him straight to the same place they'd taken me. With one major exception, he was on the other side of the acid mud. No trace of my parachute remained. I didn't actually have the strength or the ability to stand. But I reached into my soul directly for power beyond all probability and I managed to climb to my feet. For a moment, I imagined Laura beside me, helping me stand. And who could say that wasn't possible in such a place? One last family act. Come on, I shouted. Let's end this. You really have a death wish, he replied. If you hadn't spoken, I wouldn't have seen you. All covered in soot like that, I'd have assumed you died, especially with the tree ghosts around. I glared. Really? Trigos? He tilted his head. Have you seen what they can do to a man? They don't have mortality like we do. They don't understand what pain is. But they're certainly curious about it. He stepped forward, pausing, unaware at the edge of the acid mud. I don't have to kill you. You could simply help me do what needs to be done. You are military, after all. And I outrank you. I quit five years ago, I replied, trying not to show how wounded I was, even as the back of my clothes soaked in warm blood. Curious. Just before it all began. His shadow-filled eyes remained solid black amid dancing molten light. What's your name, soldier? Thompson, I told him, even as he looked down and noticed the edge of his boot smoking. My acid mud ploy had failed, and I was done. Besides... Coughing warm crimson and falling to the ground, I groaned. Even as I hit the black soil, it plopped right to the ground in front of me, still open and arcing blue. The book, falling where the winds had taken it. Thompson? He shouted aghast. Wait! I reached out, employing a terrible guess, and shut the book closed. He stopped, stood taller, and then began walking around the acid mud. I wanted to swear, but I couldn't find the breath to speak. He stood above me, looking down with normal eyes. They were still cold, but they were human. Oh no, he said, softly, belying his dark gaze. I'm sorry. As I lay there bleeding and broken, I became aware of someone running along the soil, drifting in and out of consciousness. I stayed focused. Whoever they were, they had a thick cloth over their face, so that only their eyes showed through. Beautiful eyes, but hard perhaps even more so than the Brigadier General's. In that grimness, I thought, for maybe a second, there was compassion and concern too. They wouldn't have sent him without some way to signal back. 
She began quickly searching through my charred clothing. A few moments later, she put her face directly above mine. I'm going to need you to stay awake, she said softly. You're safe now. Where is it? I trusted her. The sword stood behind and above her, calm and waiting. The way he'd been before I'd opened that accursed book. What had it done to him? Reaching into my hidden pocket, I pulled out the chip Ethan had given me. I couldn't see her mouth, but I could tell by her eyes that she was smiling. She clicked something on the chip and then began rotating newly jutted little pieces. You're going to be all right, I promise. No, I won't, I responded, crying and smiling unhappily. I know I'm already dead. Why's that, she asked. Laura stood above and behind her, calm and waiting. And we were all together again, at the end. I couldn't help but smile weakly. The stories, they'd been right all along. Who knew? Because you're here, and you're dead too, I choked out, before everything went black. To be continued. More of Matt's work can be found at mattdemersky.com. More of Raphael's work can be found at Short Scary Stories Narrations on YouTube.